So we are going to just dive right into it. Um, so if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to Romans. We're going to go Romans chapter 8. And before we, uh, we actually dive in, it's been, Josh, you spoke almost a month ago. Dude, it's been like a month and a half. Yeah, it's been a long time. So we're going to do a little bit of recap uh, because we are in our sermon series through the book of Romans. Uh, and we're in chapter 8, and it's been at least four months. Uh, so we're moving like a herd of turtles uh, who are following a group of snails. So, um, But Paul, Paul is writing here to the church in Rome, uh, and he is writing to the church because he has longed to, to go to this church uh, to see the Christians uh, that were there in Rome. Uh, he'd never met them. He'd only heard great things about them. Um, but since he had never met them, he was able to just uh, unleash the most pure, unadulterated theology to uh, to this church. All the other letters that Paul writes, he's writing to a church that he either uh, established or helped start. Uh, so in those situations, he kind of knew the people uh, and he knew their problems. He knew what was going wrong. He knew uh, who Susie was dating or what they were having for dinner the night before. So he was able to address specific uh, issues, specific problems, uh, or, or just uh, address specific individuals. But when it comes to the church in Rome, he doesn't know any of them. He doesn't know any of their uh, desires, their wants. Uh, what he does know is that they are people who are believing in the Lord. And so he's going to say, this is what Christians believe. And so uh, it was a group of Jews uh, who were starting this church. Uh, the Jews were not just in Jerusalem or what was then Israel, uh, but they had been spread out throughout the known world from the Parthian Empire to the Roman Empire uh, and to the outer lying regions that surrounded those as well. And so there was a group of Jews uh, who had, in most cases, probably been there at Pentecost or had seen uh, some things that had taken place or come into contact with Jews that had already converted to Christianity. Uh, so these Jews who were here in Rome, there was at least 10 men. We know there was at least 10 men because that was what was needed to start a synagogue. Uh, and all of these churches were started in uh, a synagogue. So there's at least 10 dudes, um, but there's probably a lot more than that because Rome was a big city, uh, had over a million uh, had several million people living in it at the time that this is being written in the first century. Uh, so Paul is saying, hey, here's some Christian theology. And what he does is he starts with uh, Jewish understanding. And he, and he approaches the law, uh, the Old Testament, uh, and what God had for the children of Israel in the law. Um, but what he also does is he points out the flaws of the law. And that the law is um, it's not perfect, uh, but that it points people to perfection and what that perfection is. And he explains to us that that is Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. He tells us in Romans chapter 3 um, that all have sinned. He tells us in Romans uh, chapter 6 um, that the wages of that sin uh, is death. He tells us in Romans chapter 5 uh, that it is because of that sin and that death that God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He talks a little bit about hope, but then he talks about how the law cannot save us from sin in chapter 7. And then about a month and a half ago, Josh brought us a message from uh, Romans chapter 8, which we're going to kind of recap some of the things that Josh talked about, but then we're going to go through the entire chapter uh, of Romans chapter 8. So that's 39 verses, and we're going to do it in less than an hour. Um, so... 
bear with me as we do this, right? Um, so I got a little bit of background before we dive into this. Uh, if you're taking notes, which I encourage you to take notes, not because I think I have anything good to say, but because I know God's Word has something good to say. Uh, the title of tonight's message is Our Emancipation Proclamation. Try saying that 17 times super fast. Emancipation Proclamation. Emancipation, yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of hard. Does anyone know what the Emancipation Proclamation is? Anyone know? No one knows. Awesome. Okay. Uh, no, you guys all know you're just not raising your hands. Uh, so we have the Civil War. Um, you all know what the Civil War was in the United States. Uh, not the Ducks playing the Beavers, not Captain America fighting uh, Tony Stark as Iron Man, but we're talking North versus South uh, over states' rights and slavery, uh, fought between the years of 1861 and 1865. Uh, over 3.2 million Americans fought in this war, uh, and of the 3.2 million who fought, 620,000 died. Uh, it's the bloodiest war in American history. Um, of those uh, 620,000 people, 51,000 of them died in one single battle. That was the Battle of Gettysburg. So pre- pretty uh, impressive amount of gore uh, and of lives lost. Um, but there w- it was a very pivotal time in American history. Uh, January 1st, 1863. Uh, was the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, the then President of the United States, uh, said, hey, regardless of this war that's happening, uh, there are some very clear things that we need to state as a nation. Uh, And the clearest was, we do not believe in slavery. Uh, And so that day, three million slaves were freed. Uh, And I don't have time to read for you the Emancipation Proclamation, but it's an amazing piece uh, of, of history, and I encourage you to read it. Um, and Romans chapter 8 is really our emancipation proclamation as believers. Why? Because uh, chapter 7 is pretty much a civil war. Uh, we see Paul saying, uh, I want to do this, but I don't do this, because what I don't want to do, I do do, and the law does this, but it can't save, but salvation comes here, but it's, we understand through the law, and he's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, good, evil, sin, uh, overcoming. It's just back and forth. There's this gigantic civil war, but now we have arrived at chapter 8. Chapter 8 is a pivotal turning point in this letter to the Roman church. Uh, Paul says in Colossians that God has wiped away the ordinances of our condemnation. He has nailed them to the cross. Uh, The Apostle Peter, in his letter, he says that Paul was at time confusing, using words that were maybe more intelligible than the average people. Uh, But it is very clear in Romans chapter 8 that Paul is not confusing at all. So... Read with me, if you will, the first few verses, then we're going to pray and we're going to dive in. This is what it says. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit is life in Christ Jesus, and has made me free uh, from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On the account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, they set their mind on the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is not in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you to your mortal bodies, uh, give life to you uh, through your mortal bodies, through his Spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. Uh, dear God, we just thank you so much uh, for your word. God, we thank you that your word uh, is is what it is. It, it is your word. Uh, God, you loved us so much that you gave us your word. Um, and, and you, by your Holy Spirit, God, you speak to us through your word. So God, I pray that tonight, none of these would be my words, but God, that you would speak uh, through your word, that you would reveal truth, uh, God, and that you would uh, just bring change and transformation in our lives and in our hearts, God. We want to live more uh, like you, uh, and we want to live more for you. So God, I just pray that we'd be encouraged, we'd be built up in our most holy faith tonight as we spend these next few moments looking at your word. And we just pray all these things in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 How many of you guys uh, have ever seen a beautiful wedding ring before? Anyone seen a beautiful wedding ring? Uh, how many of you guys have seen a beautiful engagement ring before? Uh, how many of you guys have seen just a beautiful ring? How many of you guys know anything about rings? Anyone know anything about rings? Uh, no? Okay. Uh, I know we were talking about the Lord of the Rings last time I was Ah, oh, yes. We were the fellowship. Okay, that's good. That's a beautiful ring too. But that that ring does not uh, that ring does not fit my uh, it doesn't fit my uh, analogy. And, and I'll, I'll show you why in just a second. Um, but I learned a little bit about rings um, about a year and a half ago uh, when I really decided, man, I really want to marry this girl I'm dating. Uh, so I went to Zales. This is a little plug for Zales. Uh, if ever you want to buy a ring or pearl necklace or anything Zales is the place to go they're super cool uh lifetime warranties and all the good stuff so uh, but i learned a lot about diamond quality i learned about a uh, about precious metal quality and i learned all this stuff what makes a ring so expensive or so cheap and i learned um that the diamond uh based on its quality uh why it is like the most precious of jewels and if the bible was a ring uh, the book of Romans is like the precious stone. So if the Bible is the ring, see, I got a ring. Uh, so this is like the Bible. Uh, mine doesn't have the book of Romans in it, so it's a heretic's Bible. But uh, that's why the Lord of the Rings one didn't work. But uh, a ring uh, with the stone, the stone being the book of Romans, if Romans is the stone, then those really nice glistening little glimmers, how's it going? Uh, the glistening glimmers, that would be Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is the most glistening, beautiful shine of the diamond on this most beautiful ring that is God's word. Uh, that's what one commentator said. That's not my idea, but that's someone else's idea. Another commentator said, the Romans chapter 8 is the chapter of all chapters in the scriptures for the believer. Uh, so this, according to this one commentator, this is like the most important and rich chapter in all of the Bible for someone who professes to be a follower of Christ. Uh, chapter 7, we had this right, wrong, right, wrong, right, wrong, and this civil war. Uh, and Paul uh, says this. Let's, let, let's look back to chapter uh, 7 in verse 24, and he says this. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We're talking about Paul the apostle, like guru for the Lord. And he's like, I'm a wretched man who will set me free from my body of sin. Paul's a dude who struggled. Paul was a human. 
So he struggled just like us. Uh, I don't know what your struggles are today or what they were a year ago or what they're going to be tomorrow or in the future. Uh, but we are all human, so we all kind of share the struggles. Uh, and, and Paul was the guy who struggled. Uh, he struggled quite a lot. Uh, and in chapter 7, we kind of see Paul stuck. Uh, and, and, and remember, Paul's writing the book of Romans. It, it's, it, it's, he's not writing it as a book. It doesn't have chapter numbers. It doesn't have any of this. It's a letter that he's writing to this church. But we can see him, and he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but we can see him begin to focus on himself. And we begin to see him focus on his own struggles. If we were to look at chapter 7, and we were to look at verses 15 through 25, uh, I want you to do something with me. Who, uh, who's got a pen and a paper? I want you to make a little tally every time Paul says the word I in chapter 7, verses 15 through 25. This is what he says. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that is what I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that is exactly what I do. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. And I find that the law that is evil and present within me, the one who wills to do it, good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of mine and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. How many eyes were there? Yeah, you lose track. Was it 24? Yeah, he says I over and over and over and over again. Paul begins to realize, oh my goodness, me, 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 me. I didn't have you count the my's and the me's because it's very self-focused. And I'm not saying that Paul's writing this and he's just a terrible person because he's focused on himself. He's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but we can see the humanity and the frailty of mankind. When we are in this internal struggle, we begin to focus on me, 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 me. How many of us have ever gotten to that place before? How many of us are here even now? I mean, how often do we try and overcome on our own? I try and do this. I try and do this. One of my favorite pastors who, who I listened to, uh, he was giving a sermon and he was talking and it was, I mean, it was amazing. He was like really building people up and like overcome, overcome. And then like at like the climax of the, uh, of the part where it's like, how do I overcome? He, he just flat out says, you cannot do it on your own. You can't. You will fail every time. And everyone who's listening to this is like, Fail? You were just making like this beautiful, and he's like, without Jesus. And, and so that, and that, that's where Paul's getting to right here. But at this time in the book of Romans, we're seven chapters in, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a super stud for the Lord, he has mentioned the Holy Spirit only four times in the first seven chapters of the book of Romans. 
First time, chapter 1, verse 4. Second time, chapter 2, verse 29. These aren't even in reference to himself. Third time, chapter 5, verse 5. Fourth time, chapter 7, verse 6. You see, life without the Holy Spirit is futile. But as we look at chapter 8, you will not see I, you will not see me, you will not see my in the, in the usage that he used it before. What you will see, on the other hand, is the Holy Spirit mentioned 19 times in one chapter. He's come to this pivotal point where I cannot do it on my own. I cannot do it on my own. The law can't do it. What will save me? 19 times in this chapter, he points to one of the most important things for the life of the believer, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to have three points tonight. This is the intro. Uh, three points. First point is our in Christ life. And if uh, I actually have some sermon slides back there, but you, got, you guys don't need that. Um, the first point is our in Christ life. This is verses 1 through 4. The second point is our in contrast living, verses 5 through 11. And the third point is going to be our in continuance lifestyle. So our in Christ life. Our in contrast living in our in continuance lifestyle, verses 12 through the end of the chapter. Uh, and when we look at these things, we're going to see what it means to truly not, over, uh, not only overcome sin, but to be able to live a life in freedom where we're not feeling condemned, where we're not feeling like, oh my goodness, Christianity is just a bunch of rules. I got to follow this. I got to do that. If I do this, I'm disqualified. No, we can live in the freedom that comes with being a child of Christ. And that means literally. You can do, it's going to sound crazy, you can do whatever you want. Now that ever you want has an asterisk on it, you know, because there are some things that you probably shouldn't do. Uh, Like, I'm free in Christ. I'm going to go rob a bank and then shoot some people. No, you probably shouldn't do that because that doesn't go in line with living as a Christian or someone who is living in Christ, which is our first point, that in Christ life. Verse 1, we're going to read it again. It says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Boom, we're stopping right there. We're not going to read the who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Because that second part of the verse is not there in any of the earliest manuscripts. The earliest versions of the letter to the Romans we have ends with that phrase, in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That is Paul's main point for this verse and for this entire chapter. Uh, The question might be, well, the Bible's the word of God. The Bible's perfect. How can there be this thing that is added? Who added it? Why did it get there? Does that make the Bible not true? And the answer to that is no. And we know how this happens and why this happens. Uh, first, a little bit of theology for Christianity. We believe that the word of God is inerrant. That means there's no errors in here. But to qualify that, we believe that in its original text, in its original form. Now, the New King James, which is the one I'm using, is a translation and a transliteration of a previous Latin copy of Scripture. That Latin copy of Scripture was a copy and a translation of a previous Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And then what they did was they went and they translated Latin, and they went back to the Greek, and they made sure all the words fit. And so we have a translation that is within a minuscule percentage perfect compared to the original. We don't have the original because history likes to destroy precious manuscripts. It just does. 
Um, but the accuracy and the amount of biblical manuscripts that we have show that there is unity and there is continuity uh, and that the scriptures that we have from all the different translations, whether it's NIV, ESV, NASB, King James, New King James, King James 2000, like all these different <laughs> translations, there is a real King James 2000 out there. I just like the new one. I don't like the Y2K thing. But... Um, what happens every once in a while is you have people, uh, has anyone ever heard of a scriptorium before? Okay, a scriptorium is this gigantic room with a gigantic podium that's actually up on a pedestal. And he like, like he's elevated above and he, there's a man up there and he's reading an original document. And then there's hundreds of students all with easels and a pen and a just stinking barrel of ink. And... He reads the manuscript, and they all copy word for word what he says. But he doesn't read it the way we read it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. He says, T-H-E-R-E, -E for like entire stinking chapters and books. I mean, this is, so you can imagine, because if you're like me, at about R, you're like, is that fly on the wall? Oh gosh, he said something else. And so we, we we can see in these different manuscripts that we have where someone put a period in the wrong place, where it should have been a comma, or where someone translate. Here's the best one: uh, when they're translating the, the the defining factor of Moses's face when he's up on the uh, uh, Mount Sinai, uh, the guy who translates from the Hebrew, he, he he's hearing it, but he puts the letter in the wrong place, and it says Moses's face glowed with radiant light well the hebrew word for light is one letter off for the hebrew word for horns and so if you look at any sculpture of moses or any painting of moses before the 1700s he has horns i kid like not even joking you can look up michelangelo's moses it's one of the biggest statues that's sitting in france he's got horns do it like like fact check me right here it's it's a real deal and it's because of little scribal errors also, what would happen was when a monk would get a copy, he'd read and he'd be like, this is really awesome. This is super good. He'd write notes in the margins. How many of you guys have ever written notes in the margins of your Bible or in your textbooks? Okay. So then 100 years later, when someone's going to come and they're going to bring oh, that copy to a scriptorium, they begin to read it and they're like, you know what? This person mistranslated it, so they put their correction in the margin and then they add the correction that's in the margin then to the original so we get these small scribal errors. So that is why most likely that latter half to the verse is there. But the most earliest uh, manuscripts of Romans chapter 8 say, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And the cool thing about this, this in Christ, uh, if the latter portion of that verse was there, in the original and in Paul's intent, it, it actually takes away from what his original was. Because it says, there is there now, uh, that therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Sounds great. But the verse says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. There's no qualifiers. Because think about this. Are there some days where you walk in the flesh and you're not walking in the Spirit? If that is the case, which that is true because we're all human, we all fall and we all fail, sometimes we walk in the flesh. 
if this verse reads the way it does in our modern translations, then it means that when we walk in the spirit, there's no condemnation because we're in Christ Jesus. But when we walk in the flesh, there is condemnation, even though we're in Christ Jesus. And that's anti the gospel. That's anti the intent that the Holy Spirit had intended for Paul to write down. Because here's the thing. The good news of the gospel is that in Christ, there is no condemnation. That means, that means there is no God's not looking down condemning at any time when you're sinning or when you're praising Jesus at church. God is not condemning at all. And, and that's one like the most beautiful thing of the gospel that so often we forget. God's not looking down like a human when there's an ant squishing them with their thumb. God does not condemn for those who are in Christ. There is in Christ and in sin. There's no gray area. You're either in Christ or you're in sin. Verse 1 says there is no condemnation. Uh, it does not say there is no sin. It does not say there is therefore now no sin for those who are in Christ. We are still going to sin, but there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Christ means that we are forgiven. Even though we still fall, our sin is paid for. Uh, and just because uh, there's no condemnation, it does not mean that there's no consequence. You guys see what I'm saying? Yeah. There's a difference between condemnation and consequence, right. even though their first uh, three letters are the exact same. The word condemnation is the Greek word. You guys ready for a fun Greek word? Katakrema. Everyone say katakrema. Katakrema literally means an intense judgment by God or by the gods. This is like the Zeus lightning bolt thrown down. Like this is God is coming down on you. This is uh, a big bummer. For someone who is having this katakrema coming on them. Uh, but here's the thing. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, there is no courtroom for a Christian. There is no courtroom for the believer. Um, we see uh, in the end, end of times, we see in eternity, uh, there's the great white throne judgment where God's sitting there and he's judging people based off of what they've done. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you're not even there. You have what is called the Bema Seat judgment, and it's not even a judgment. It's, it's, it's the Bema Seat judgment of reward. So judgment of reward in our modern vernacular is this is an award ceremony where let's say Josh played football really good. He is getting the judgment of the MVP award. And we don't equate receiving an award with the judgment. But in our vernacular, we hear judgment, we're like, oh man, that really sucks. I'm getting judged. But no, the judgment for the believer is, hey, here is a reward for the good that you've done. Psalms chapter 1. Flipping your Bible to Psalm chapter 1. This is so cool. And this really helps put this all in context. Psalm chapter 1. This is what it says in verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in their season, whose leaf also shall not wither, uh, and whatever he does shall prosper. The person who does not live sinfully or in the counsel of the ungodly, but lives in the Lord, says, whatever he does shall prosper. Then it goes on to say this in verse 4. It says, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. That's like the tumbleweeds being tossed down the road in the Midwest. He says, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, 
uh, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. That word in the judgment, that's in the reward ceremony. And then verse 6 says, For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So, it's contrast. Life in sin, there is condemnation and consequence. Life in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. Uh, so, I mean, like, let this think, like, sink in just a little bit. Has have you ever? And, and this is this isn't a bad thing if you say, "Yeah, I felt this way. I felt this way." Have any of you ever felt like God was punishing you? Like you felt, man, you know what? I failed. I feel like God's punishing me. I messed up. I didn't brush my teeth when my mom told me to, and now God's punishing me with cavities. Uh, it's a terrible example, but uh, God's discipline is not punitive. God is not punishing any Christian. No Christian. Like, this is hard to wrap our minds around, but God is not punishing any person who's put their faith in him. It's it's his nature, and I'm going to show you in just a simple um, example in just a second, but God is never punishing those who are putting their faith in him. God corrects, which is different than punishing. But what God also does is God prunes, uh, which, which means he cuts back. And uh, it's a gardening term that um, it's bearing a lot of fruit. What you do is you cut it back so it can grow fresher and it's going to produce more fruit. Uh, I, I have some rose bushes at my house and we have a guy at our church uh, who, who is a rosarian, and which means he, he, he knows his rose bushes. And I've been to this guy's house and he's got so many rose bushes. It's awesome. Um, but when winter comes, where you've had these beautiful roses, you cut it back so that when spring comes, you're like doubling and tripling on these roses. See, man, he planted some of these rose bushes back in the 80s, and these things are just beautiful, all different colors. But it wouldn't happen if he just said, oh, it's a pretty flower, and then didn't prune it at all. So too, God does with the believers. God sees the potential but he also knows that complacency and doing nothing can lull people into just a complacent life. With the rose, beautiful rose. If you don't prune it, it will produce a rose every year, but it will just be one. And it, it could be so much more. So sometimes when people feel that God is punishing them or that even God is correcting them, sometimes God's just saying, hey, you know what? I see your potential. You've, you've done some good things. I'm going to put you through a trial. I'm going to put you through some tribulation, not because I hate you, not because I'm punishing you, not because I want to squish you, but because I know the potential that you have, and I'm going to refine you like fire. Remember that ring that we talked about? Rings and precious metals, they go through purification processes. If you were just to take gold that you found in a vein on the inside of a quartz little rock that you got off a mountain, you're like, I found some gold. This is awesome. You're going to go make some jewelry out of it. It would be pretty cheap and expensive jewelry because the gold had impurities. It, it, it didn't have structural integrity. Uh, it, it was not pure gold. How do you get pure gold? You have to push it. You put it through fire. You you give it pressure. Same thing with diamonds. Pressure create. So it's the same with God. God is not punitive. He's prunative. That's not a word. Uh, but God prunes so that we can bear more fruit. And for those who are in Christ, this is the theme of Jesus' life and ministry here on earth. In Christ appears. That phrase, in Christ or in Christ Jesus, appears 87 times in the New Testament. 
if then you add the phrases where it's like in him or in whom uh, or in he, uh, we're up to over 104 times that phrase is used in the New Testament. A good majority of them are in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we, we did a series on the book of Ephesians years ago. You can listen to it online or you can go read or, and study it yourself. But here's the thing. Small keys unlock large doors. Small keys not only unlock large doors, but small keys unlock large doors that contain rooms that are full of riches. Uh, any of you guys ever play like the video game where you're like the treasure hunter? Uh, I mean, all, all sorts of video games do this. But you have to like find the little key that'll then unlock the secret room. And when you unlock the secret room, sometimes it's a princess. Sometimes it's like this amazing immaculate treasure. But at the end of the day, it was a small key that did it. This phrase, in Christ, to be in Christ, is the key. It's small. It doesn't take up much on your page. But that phrase, in Christ, is the key that unlocks the door to ultimate life. Ephesians tells us that life in Christ, in Christ, we have access to every spiritual blessing that God has. Not some. Not, oh, that one's good, but I don't get any of those. But Josh gets those. No. We have access to every spiritual blessing. Now, this is not Matt up here on Tuesday night preaching prosperity gospel that in Jesus, you're going to get a new car. In Jesus, you're going to get a million dollars. In Jesus, you're going to get ice cream tonight. That's not what I'm saying. That would be nice. But that's not what God's word says. He says spiritual blessing, spiritual richness. And I'll tell you what, I will take a spiritual richness over a material richness mm -hmm. every day of the week. Mm -hmm. Material richness, it's fun. There's some nice things. I've seen some pretty awesome YouTube videos of some dudes who had some money. But in the end, that doesn't save. It doesn't save. That's another sermon for another night. Without Christ, uh, a life without Christ equals a life of no hope. You take Christ, I heard one pastor say this, you take Christ out of Christian, you're left with nothing. But if you put Christ in or in Christ in Christian, it's everything. Um, it's not grammatically correct, but I, I just thought it was good. Uh, you take Christ out of Christian, you have nothing. Verse 2 talks about the law of the spirit. Uh, so Paul's been kind of bad talking the law, uh, and now we see him say that we are under the law. He says this, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit uh, is not a law of regulation, uh, but it is a course of operation. It, 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 this law is not um, this, the, the, this regulatory rules and regulations, but it's a course of operation. Um, and regulations and course of operation, the, these two kind of laws are at uh, civil war with each other. They're, 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 they, they butt heads. Um, and you have to choose which one you're going to feed and which one you're going to give into. Uh, are you going to be someone who, who decides, I'm going to live in a law uh, that is rules and regulations that boxes me and I'm frustrated all the time? Or are you going to be someone who says, you know what, I'm going to live in the law of the spirit, which is life. And it's an order of operations. There's, there's not rules of you must do this or you fail. It's I can operate in the freedom. And when I operate in the freedom, I begin to realize there is more freedom when I live within what God has for me. Gravity. Everyone know what gravity is? It's a law. Okay, It's a law that governs our universe. Uh, and so I'm going to do a uh, little 
analogy for us. How many of you guys have ever wanted to fly before? Anyone ever want to fly? Um, I never was the kid who had dreams about <coughs> flying. Anyone ever have like the dreams where you're flying? I never once dreamed about flying. I always dreamed about running fast. Um, so I guess if I was going to get my superpowers, I'd be the Flash, not Superman. Um, but whatever. Um, gravity is a law. And let's say John wanted to fly. And John says, I am going to fly, even though there is this law in place that I know if I drop a bowling ball or a penny from the top of the Empire State Building, if there wasn't wind, they both hit at the same time. I could drop a piece of paper, crumble a piece of paper, and I could drop a 10-pound weight. They're going to fall. Gravity is a thing. It's a law. But you know what? I don't care because I want to fly. So he goes up to the top of the building. Feel like Frank Sinatra in the back of his head, like I did it my way. You know, like he's like breaking the law, gravity. No, I'm flying. <laughs> Jump. How many of us know that John's gonna fall and die every single time? Maybe not die, but he's gonna fall every single time. You guys don't know me like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't play by the rules. <laughs> when there is a law that governs, you cannot break the law doing it your own way. It just can't happen. Now, Josh, when Josh was preaching from Romans chapter 8, he used the analogy of an airplane. And he talked about all these cool uh, maneuvering devices inside of an airplane where you got your aptitude and your altitude and your attitude and all these things. Um, so we're going to stick with airplanes because I like airplanes. Uh, not only is there a law of gravity, but there's some other laws. The law of thrust, the law of aerodynamics, the law of inertia, the law, uh, all of these. We're going to say the law of the 747. Uh, 747s are big airplanes. I had the opportunity to fly on one just two weeks ago uh, when I flew to Oklahoma. Fun little story. It's kind of gross, but I threw up for the first time on an airplane. Uh, it was pretty gross. I didn't have time to get to the, the, the little throw-up bag because I didn't think I was going to throw up. Never thrown up on an airplane. Three rows. Three rows. It was forward projectile. It was disgusting, but uh, it was awesome. Um, so <laughs> flying, but here's the thing. I was flying. I was defying the law of gravity. How? Because I was living inside of another law, the law of aerodynamics. Here's the thing. Gravity in this situation uh, or, or, or example represents sin. The plane represents a life in Christ. And a life in Christ, just like an airplane, here's where it gets corny, will take us to new heights. Okay? <laughs> but here's the thing. You can live in a different law that exists in the same plane, not airplane, but same plane as another law. Flight for mankind is possible because there are other laws in our universe. Just like life for a believer, there is a way to escape the condemnation that comes from the law of sin when we live in the law and the life of the Spirit. Does that make sense? Verse 3, we see that the law is a do-do-do, uh, <laughs> but we see that the gospel is it's already done. It's already done. In Christ... Power was given with the command. This is what it says in verse 3. It says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4 goes on to say that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, not by us, because we can't do it, remember, but in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In Christ, we have power, and that power is given uh, with a command. Jesus enables, here's a little hashtag, Jesus enables what our flesh disables. Mm -hmm. 
It's not my nice little phrase. I read in the commentary. Uh, but just think about this. Jesus, he enables what the flesh disables. You remember the story of the man with the withered hand? Jesus gives his flesh, his actual skin and bone and muscles, he gives it a command, and in that command he says, reach your hand forth. Now this man has a shriveled hand, and it, uh, there's medical conditions that make it so he can't actually stretch out his hand. But God gives, Jesus gives this command, reach out, stretch out your hand. And that power that comes from God, the command enables what our flesh disables. And what did the man do? He reached out his hand and he was healed at the command, not at, like Jesus laying hands. He says, reach out your hand. The man was able to because the power of God enables what our flesh disables. I think that's really important. That's good. The law could not empower us, but Christ empowers us with his Holy Spirit. In the book of John, he says, it's better off that I go so that I can send the, the, the Holy Spirit. Man cannot save, but Christ does save. You guys know what double jeopardy is? Being it's not like... For the same crime twice. Exactly. You there's a law of double jeopardy. You cannot be tried for the same crime twice. So if Corey, let's say Corey is charged with Grand Theft Auto of a stick of gum. Well, that's not... Okay, Grand Theft Auto, what's your favorite car? Lamborghini. Okay, Grand Theft Auto of a Lamborghini. Marcielago, how's that sound? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So we'll, look at this nice Ferrari. Uh, there, there are those churches that say, "In Christ, you get." No, no, no. This is not one of the. In Christ, so you have your Ferrari or your Lamborghini only because you stole it. So you get tried for grand theft auto, but there is some thing that shows up in the court case that says, "You know what? I actually don't think it is," and you're acquitted of your crime. But then more evidence comes out. After trial, that's like, no, you know what? He actually for sure did it. Corey stole it. Here's the videotape. I don't know how we missed it the first time. You cannot be charged for stealing that Lamborghini. It's double jeopardy. Check this out. Christ died once and for all. That's what scripture tells us. Sin has a, we all have a debt to pay because of sin. For the wages of sin is death. That is what we owe because of our sin. But we cannot be charged or condemned for sin's debts. Why? Because Jesus already died for the sin. He already paid the penalty. So we cannot be charged with it because it has already, the, the, the judgment has already been excised on Jesus. We cannot be charged for it because Christ acquitted us for it when he went on trial on our behalf. Forest fires. Anyone ever seen a picture of a forest fire before or a brush fire? Okay, so when I was in Oklahoma, uh, there was a brush fire. Um, and it, Oklahoma's windy. Uh, I never knew it Outside of the musical, it's like Oklahoma when the wind goes sweeping through the plains. That's real. It's bad. Oklahoma is windy. Um, well, there's just brush fire. When wind picks up and there's fire on just a bunch of dead grass, it's not a good thing for the dead grass. Because fire takes oxygen and wind moves things. So fire, it's going. Now what you do... It, when, when you live in a place where brush fires or forest fires happen quite often, what you do is what you do is you call it you backfire, which means you burn a line. So then when the fire that's rushing, you burn a controlled line, you can put it out. But when the fire approaches, when it hits that line, a fire cannot burn that which has already been burned. So there's a story of a young man and his daughter. They're out in the forest. They're doing the thing. And the forest fire comes. And this man's like, oh, my goodness, forest fire's coming. So he sets a fire. 
and he burns this little circle, and then he and his daughter get in the circle after they put out their little fire, and the forest fire comes, and it's all around them, and the little girl is terrified. Daddy, we're going to die. We're going to die. Fire's all around. And he says, fire cannot burn that which has already been burned. They're standing on the ground. Same thing as us. The condemnation for sin, for the sin that you commit, for the sin that I commit, the fire, the punishment, the <coughs> condemnation, the katakrema of God cannot burn that which has already been burned. When was it burned? When Christ died for it on the cross. You are not going to receive the punishment, the punitive action from God for your sin if your faith is in Christ Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel. A life in Christ is a life of ultimate freedom. It's fulfilled in us, not by us. We are free and we can live in this. How? Um, do, do, do we live in this by struggling? Like I'm like Paul in chapter 7. I want to do it, but I don't, but I can live in it because it's okay. It's not manageable. How do we live in the freedom? We live in it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So point one, it's just only one point, I'm sorry guys. Point one is our in Christ life. <coughs> what was point two? It's our in contrast lifestyle. How do we live by the power of the Holy Spirit? Verses five through eight. Um, I don't have time to, to, to read them all because I, I, I want to be able to keep going uh, and hit everything tonight. But for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their mind on the things of the Spirit. There's not this portion of scripture gets misused by Christians quite often, where they say, "Well, Romans chapter eight is talking about two different kinds of Christians. You have your carnal Christians and your spiritual Christians. Your carnal Christians are Christians who are okay with sin and they still sin. Uh, they, they try to overcome, but they're carnally minded, so they're just carnal Christians, uh, and, and, and they should not walk that way. And then you have your spiritual Christians who never sin. They're always doing the great thing. This is not talking about two different types of Christians. This is talking about one who is saved and one who is not saved. To be a follower of Christ, to be in Christ, you are no longer carnally minded. Yes, you still have sinful thoughts. Yes, you still struggle. But your mindset, God sees you already as if you have never sinned. That's what being justified means. Just if you have never sinned. That's how God sees you. So you don't have a carnal mind. You have a spiritual mind. Sometimes we're just stupid. But to the person who has not put their faith in Jesus, they do not and cannot have a spiritual mindset. So the person who says, yeah, you know, I like the idea of God, uh, but I just don't believe in Jesus. I'm just a spiritual person. Sorry, you cannot have a spiritual mindset without Christ. Aside from Christ, there's only carnal mindset. It's a mindset that is set on doing evil. And that can be frustrating. That's a frustrating pill to swallow sometimes. Because... How many of us know there are some very good people out there who are not Christians? Has anyone ever met someone who's just a genuinely nice, good person and their faith is not in Jesus? The Bible tells us that even our most kind, righteous, humane acts are filthy rags compared to what Christ gives us when he gives us the new garments. Uh, uh, his, his blood covering our sin, the Bible tells us, washes us white as snow. Even our most, even if they're like atoning acts, like, man, I'm doing this because I know there's a God and I just, I, I can't measure up, 
So I'm going to just be good. I'm going to be good. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to feed the homeless this night. If you're doing those things to atone for sin, it never measures up. There's only in Christ or in sin. There's no other option. There's no gray area. Verses 9 through 11 really go on uh, to tell us what it means to be empowered by the Spirit. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. Indeed, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now anyone who does not have the Spirit, Christ does not dwell in him. And if Christ is in you, the body is now dead because of sin, but the Spirit of is life because of righteousness. Life in Christ, we are dead to sin, and we are alive in the Spirit. So what does it mean to live as someone who is operating in the power of the Spirit? Acts chapter 1, verse 8 tells us that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us, and we will be witnesses. Uh, John, uh, in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit being the helper who's going to come and who's going uh, to reveal to mankind uh, sin, righteousness, godliness. Uh, he's, he's going to spur men on uh, to uh, have this relationship with the Lord. He's going to reveal to us the truth of Scripture. Uh, Jesus says he is all around, and he is drawing all men to the Father. He is in us at salvation. And then Jesus says he, he will come upon you. He is the promise of the Father when you are not only having the Holy Spirit in you, but upon you. Uh, and that upon is the, the empowering. Romans chapter 12, we're going to get there in a few weeks, talks about some spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit brings. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about some ministering operations uh, that the Holy Spirit gives. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 1 Corinthians chapter 14 really talk about some manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, these get misused and abused all the time in the church. Um, the, the, the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is not for people to be swinging around from chandeliers shouting in tongues. Like, whatever. Um, that's not what the power of the Spirit is for. Now, there are people who speak in tongues, and that's awesome. It is a gift from the Spirit. Um, it is more of a manifestation of the Spirit. It's a spiritual prayer language uh, that only uh, God knows. Most of the time, you don't even know what you're saying. Uh, there's also gifts of interpretation and all these things, but not to confuse anyone on this. That's not the purpose of the spirit. The purpose of the spirit is to empower the life so that we can be witnesses. That's why Acts chapter one, verse eight says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to what? Be my witnesses. The spirit empowered life is this life that lives to see other people come to the saving knowledge of Christ so that they too can live in freedom that comes when you're in Christ. How many of you guys, if you saw one of your best friends, or even if you saw someone you didn't know, maybe you saw someone you just, you had beef with, you didn't like him. You saw him standing in the middle of the road with their eyes closed. And you saw a bus barreling at them at 55 miles an hour. Would any of us stand there, even if they were our worst enemy, would any of us stand there and just be like, yeah, sucks, you shouldn't have been on the road? No. I mean, we're going to yell, idiot, there's a bus. <laughs> if it's someone we like, we're going to be like, dude, get out of the way. If it's someone we love, we're probably going to go tackle them and save them, you know? Um, I, I mean, maybe we'll tackle the people we hate too, you know? I'm just saying, no one's going to stand by and watch someone get obliterated by a bus. Here's the thing, a life in Christ is a life in in the empowerment of the spirit to be a witness. 
there is a very real bus that's barreling at more than 55 miles an hour at people whose faith is not in Jesus. And that bus is the reality that there is a heaven and that there is a hell. And that a life without Christ means a life separated from God, which means a life not in heaven. And the only other alternative is a very real hell. And if we know that that is the case, then we should say, you know what? I want people to be standing on the sidewalk with me. We don't want to get hit by any buses tonight. In Christ, power from the Holy Spirit. Verse 3 is our uh, in continuance life. Uh, and, and, and what an incontinuous life is, uh, is someone who does not just realize this, be like, that's awesome, worked for me today, kind of do my own thing tomorrow and for the next week, and when I need to realize, oh, I'm not condemned, I'll just come back to this portion of Scripture. No, incontinuance is, we now know this, so we now operate in this. I got married. This is a continuance thing. This isn't like, Ah, man, you know what? Today I don't feel like being married. Ring's coming off. Woo, single life. I kind of want to be married. I'll put the ring back on. That's not how marriage works. That's not how life in Christ works. You can't just choose to be one day and have it not happen the other day. It's like the X-Men. Okay, terrible example again, but I love comics. It's like the X-Men. They are mutants. And Jean Grey cannot decide one day to have the Phoenix Force and the other day not to. She is a mutant, whether she likes it or not. Any X-Men fans in here? Okay. That, that, that spoke to you, right? Okay. Um, you can't choose to be in or out. You are either doing it or you're not. In Christ or in sin. So verse 3, or, 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 or point 3 is we are debtors to the Spirit. The will of God, um, because because of all of this, Christ has set us free. We're not debtors like we're trying to pay something back because we owe. Rather, we are debtors because we owe it to the world to express what God has done in us. And so God has done a work in us. In Christ, we are free. Um, does that mean that in our freedom we just do whatever we want? No. And you're like, well, Matt, I just remember 47 minutes ago, you said, life and freedom means, this is going to sound weird, you can do whatever you want. And then I was like, there's an asterisk, though. Remember, the asterisk is right here. Just because we are free from sin, does that mean that we continue in sin? Certainly not, Paul says. If someone were to save you from being in front of a moving van or bus going 55 miles an hour, somewhere to save you, you'd probably want to be like, man, that was really nice of you. Can I buy you a coffee? Like, maybe that's, maybe you'd buy him a dinner. I don't know. Maybe you'd just be like, thank you. Like, but you would feel the need to express your gratitude. That magnified so much more. That's the life of the believer. It's not out of this desire to attain salvation that we do good things, that we do things that are in line with Scripture. We do them out of gratitude. God saved us from an eternity separated from him. I kind of feel like I should buy Jesus a cup of coffee. And what that means translated is, oh, yeah, the Bible says that I shouldn't lie. Yeah, probably shouldn't lie. Because I know what the life of lying leads to. It's a life in sin, not a life in Christ. 
Oh, the Bible says I shouldn't murder? Yeah, that's probably a good idea. You name it, Christianity is not rules and regulations. It is an order of operation. It's not punitive. It's prunitive. It's not condemnation. There's correction, but there's freedom. It's not slavery. It's not death. It's life. And because of that, we should live on assignment. What does it mean to live on assignment? What that means is what did Jesus come to earth for? To seek and to save the lost. As followers of Christ, our life in Christ should have the same purpose that Christ had because we are in Christ. What was Christ's purpose? To seek and to save the lost, to share the good news of the gospel. Your sin will not be held against you. A fire cannot burn what has already been burned. Double jeopardy. There's freedom in Christ. You can jump off a building and the law of gravity will be superseded by the law of thrust and aerodynamics and out of nowhere, 747 is going to catch you and it'll take you to new heights. I mean, you start piecing it all together and a life in Christ is so much better mm-hmm. and so much more fulfilling than a life not in Christ. I'm going to fast forward just for the sake of time. I don't even know what time it is. I'm going to fast forward for the sake of time because I've been going for a long time. Verse 35. I want you to read everything in between on your own. It's, it's really good. I mean like verses like this, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not... With him also freely give us all things. I mean, these are cool verses. We don't have time to talk about these tonight. But verse 35 to the end of it says this. And this is this is the sparkle of the sparkle on the diamond on the ring that is scripture. Listen to what Paul says. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And here is, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor the things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Talk about resolute. Talk about convinced. Yet, in all things, we are more than conquerors in him. For I am convinced that death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, anything. There's nothing that can separate me from a life in Christ. Life in Christ, life in sin. If you have put your faith in Jesus... God is on your side. Not only is he on your side, he is not, he has not and will not condemn you for your sin. 
And so often the believer stumbles in their sin and they say, I have cut off the grace of God because I messed up. Maybe you don't say that with your words, but so often we believe that. But that is a lie. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because there is there no, therefore now no condemnation, there is nothing, nothing that we can do to separate us from the love of God. Life in Christ, not only is it epic... But it is the greatest life that one can live. Is it the most successful? No, not always. In many cases, probably not. Is it the most lavish and posh and rich? No. No, it really isn't. Is it the easiest one? Are you going to have the most friends? No. But at the end of the day, none of that matters. At the end of the day, none of it matters. It, it's This example and analogy has been beat like a dead horse, but it's still true from the day it was first used. You never see a U-Haul following a hearst. You never see a U-Haul following a hearst. For the Lamborghini that you Grand Theft auto you got off the hook for it. It's your car. Awesome. You don't get to take it with you when you die. For the ice cream... That you got because you went to a prosperity church. You don't get to take that ice cream with you when you die. We don't get to take anything. We leave something. Do you want to leave a Lamborghini? Do you want to leave a mansion? It's like the Dark Knight uh, Rises with Bruce Wayne. He's like at the end of his like he's like I've been retired. I'm not Batman anymore. He's just got this beautiful mansion and everything's covered in sheets because he's gone off the radar. He just left it and it's doing what? Collecting dust. You know what never collects dust? A legacy. That's what you leave behind. You leave a legacy. And it is a legacy of hope or is it a legacy of defeat? There is one thing you get to take with you. And it's people. Now, I'm not getting all weird and saying, you can die and you can take people with you. Sounds a little bit extremist. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you can live a life that is a full life in the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ. Remember that saving people from a bus thing? When you save that person, you now played a part in their in Christ moment. Mm, And then who knows? They might save 17 people from a bus. And now it's a part of your legacy. It's a part of your story. What we can bring with us is we can bring people. So a life in Christ is a life not of condemnation, but of freedom. And that with great freedom comes great responsibility. We're just comic booking it up tonight. With great power comes great responsibility. There's a power of that freedom. And Uncle Ben, when he said it to Spider-Man, it was the real deal. He was given a great power. And he was supposed to use it the right way. As a believer, we did not get bit by a radioactive spider and have web shooters. But we were blessed because God loved us while we were still sinners. And he sent Christ for us. So that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we are empowered by the Spirit and our responsibility is to share him
So many people say this, and I'm going to end with this. So many people say, well, I want to, uh, I want to introduce Jesus to these people. It's, it's not how it works. Jesus knows, okay? What we do is we have the opportunity to introduce people to Jesus. That's right. And if you take anything from tonight, there's a lot of things you can take, I think. But if you've put your faith in Jesus, God's not coming down on you with a hammer. God's actually up there with popcorn, maybe a vuvuzuela, and he's up there like, dude, you are my stud on the field. And I'm going to be cheering you on. Now go do it for, with, with the most vigor and excitement and zeal. Live your life in Christ to the fullest, sharing the love of God with everyone you come into contact with. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much. God, we thank you that we are free. Uh, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son. Uh, and God, I pray that, that we would know what it means to live a life in Christ. Not only that we would know what it means to live a life in Christ, but that, uh, that in Christ uh, we would know that our sin is forgiven and we are no longer condemned. God, I pray that we would live in the freedom that comes with being a child of Christ. God, I pray that tonight, um, God, that, that, that you would just uh, reassure each and every single one of us of the freedom that we have in you. And God, maybe there's one, maybe there's, uh, maybe it's all of us who, who, who needed to hear this tonight. Uh, God, I pray that, that we would put our faith and our trust in you. Mm-hmm. And God, that, 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 that if there is those tonight who have not put their faith in you, uh, God, I pray that, that, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would even be uh, compelling them now um, of the fullness and the richness of a life in Christ. God, I don't want to manipulate any situation, and, uh, but God, I want, I want you, by your Spirit, God, just to really work on hearts. Um, and God, for, for those who have put their faith in you, uh, but who just feel condemned by their sin, God, I pray that they would live in freedom mm-hmm. and that the power and the truth and the beautifulness of your gospel, God, would change our lives and change the way we live our lives. So God, I just thank you and I praise you. Uh, God, we worship you in this place. We just pray all this in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Amen.